I reckon waiting for the bill in a restaurant at the end of the meal is such a pain. I know, but have you seen Mr Yum Split and Pay? I used it the other day at a restaurant. I just scanned the bill and straight away was able to easily split it with friends, pay and leave. It was super fast and super easy. Really sounds amazing. That's right. Mr Yum Split and Pay makes it so simple for diners to pay their bill, to split it between a group and even pay for individual items. Restaurants love it as they get to know their customers better than ever, making it simple to send targeted offers and get their guests coming back again and again. It really is a game changer for venues that love full service but want to streamline payments. Mr. Yum's Split and Pay is the better way to pay, and it's free until July 2023. Visit mryum.com. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Our Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Andy Pobjoy is a singer, multi-instrumentalist, cruise ship entertainer, live streamer, father of two and founder of Piano Bar. Performing in church from the age of 10, weddings at the age of 14 and nightclubs from the age of 16, Andy has said yes to every gig imaginable, performing at conferences, events, resorts and luxury cruise liners in six continents. 2015, against all good advice, Andy took the plunge into small business, opening the original 50-seat Piano Bar in Geelong. This concept was an overnight success, and since then, Piano Bar Group has grown exponentially with six venues across regional Victoria and Melbourne. So I feel so excited to have Andy on the podcast today. Hey, Andy, how are you? Very well, Sean. Thanks for having me. Uh, It is absolutely my pleasure. Now, when we talked the other week over the phone, I was just, you know, amazed at your career in the industry and so humbled to have you on the podcast because probably the one thing we haven't talked about a whole hell of a lot in the nearly 200 podcasts that we've done now is entertainment and music and how that really affects the hospitality industry in such a positive way. So I'm really excited to hear about your journey, you know, as an entertainment owner, but what got you into performing early on? Because it sounded like it started super early in your life. It started pretty early. I think um, just I was drawn to music from day dot, but you can see the progression there when you read that bio. And I was reminded how quickly I went downhill from playing <laughs> in church at 10 to being in a nightclub at 16. I mean, that's, that is the, the devolution right there. Um, no, I was really attracted to the dynamic environment and live music and hospitality and particularly um, you know, beverage in the food and beverage equation go particularly well together. And I think that's really what kept me in the game is uh, that intersection of where entertainment meets hospitality. It's a really exciting environment and it has gone through so many changes in the 25 years uh, that I've been involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And especially the last couple of years must be just such a massive challenge. And I really, you know, look forward to, to talking about that today because you know, the events industry and, and the music industry, I think, got lost during the last couple of years in conversation. Like, we focus so much on 
cafes, restaurants, hotels has been a really important part of, you know, the challenges of the last two and a half years. But I think the music industry has been lost a bit. So I know we're going to talk about, you know, that a bit later on. Now, I said in the intro, you know, we talked about against all good advice, you started your first venue in Geelong. What made you want to make that leap into be a business owner? Because I can imagine going from, you know, doing cruise liners and those kind of things to all of a sudden, you know, business ownership must have been a massive leap for you. Working in the cruise industry really crystallized uh, the ability that music has to bring an audience together, particularly a diverse audience. On a cruise ship, you've got everyone from the ages of 8 to 88 and everything in between from all over the country, from all over the world in some cases. Mm. And I was really excited to see the way that the audience responded in that piano bar setting on a cruise ship and drawing a parallel to the small town, well, smallish town, growing quickly, Geelong. Yes. Uh, I've seen hospitality businesses with entertainment come and go so quickly. And I think part of that was that they were appealing to too narrow a demographic whether that's the under 25s or just being a jazz bar or just being a blues bar. These ideas work really well in bigger settings like Melbourne or Sydney. But when you start drilling down to the microcosm that is a regional centre like Geelong, you do need to be all things to all people. So when I was sitting in those cruise ship piano bars every night, I made a habit of asking the bar captain how much we did that night. And it turned out we were basically doing my monthly salary um, every one and a half nights. Wow. And that really got me to thinking. And also just the way they do things on cruise ships, it's very basic. For these billion-dollar vessels, many times I don't even have an ice well or draft beer in the bar and they're doing mm. insane numbers. So everything comes from a can and that can gets crushed down and sits in the hole until they offload it at the next port. Um, you know, it's it's a very, very basic way of doing big business. And I thought to myself after a few good years doing this on ships all over the world, it was time to try and do it back home. Um, and my hand sort of got forced because I um, they have very strict rules around drinking on cruise ships. And I had a bit of an incident one night where some items of clothing fell off me. And <laughs> um, off. I was hauled before the staff captain and got what we call the six o'clock knock. And you've got your SHIT on the dock right. um, waiting for you. So my hand was so sort of forced. People uh, that knew me knew that I had a really strong background in entertainment, but I'd never run anything in hospitality before. So and it was literally every single person I trusted in my life was saying this is a bad move, including uh, my wife at the time was absolutely dead against it and so when we opened up the first venue, the rent was ridiculously cheap. He was a friend of my late grandfather's. And so he sort of took pity on me and gave us a sweet deal on that. And it was my dad behind the bar and our house painter in the kitchen. Oh, wow. And that was um, seven years ago this week. Wow. Congratulations. Mm, thank you. What, did you. what did you love about, you know, walking into that space for the first time and having to think about that being the first piano bar? Can you remember that moment? I remember it being a little bit bigger in my mind's eye. And then um, looking back, it was basically the size of a tram, that building, <laughs> insanely narrow and very long. There was really not a lot of expectation on it. And I think this is where a lot of hospitality startups really paint themselves into a corner. Mm. You have to go in with an open mind as to where it's going to go and really listen to your customer base. My background is in jazz and I'm a Sinatra tragic. Unfortunately, after about three months, the Real Housewives of Footscray found, uh, you know, found us. Right. 
and um, or Lara, if you're using a Geelong equivalent, just the outer suburban mums who really do love getting in there and and smashing some Cosmos and then 50 vodka lime sodas afterwards. And because it's all by request, you just have to do what the audience want. So that's where the growth of the business came, was really just hitting the audience in between the eyes with what they want, even if it wasn't the dream that I had when I started. And I think um, letting go of that was the beginning of the, it was the start of everything really for us. That's when it really started taking off when you find an itch that needs scratching and then you just scratch, scratch, scratch. It may not, like I say, it may not be the perfect vision of what you had when you started, but if that's what it takes, just go for it. It's not too much of a compromise. It still is the piano bar and we still ha have a great time doing it just, you know, just because I'm not playing the music I like 100% of the time. That's just the price I have to pay. <laughs> had to do what customers want sometimes, hey? You bet. Last couple of years, obviously, been a massive challenge, as I said before. How many venues did you have a couple of years ago? Have you had six for that sort of period of time? Our timing was impeccable. So yep. our first expansion was into the country town of Colac, which has a population of about 35,000 if you include the satellite towns around it, but a core population of about 15,000. Mm -hmm. And that was a really, really big success for us. Mm -hmm. um, again, because of the broad appeal. So uh, at the end of 2019, we signed a lease on a huge premises in Ballarat and a former hotel site in Hargrave Street in Bendigo uh, with the view to uh, opening Ballarat first, which we pushed all the way through January and February of 2020. Mm -hmm. We opened up three weeks before the first lockdown <laughs> in Ballarat. Gosh. And obviously, you it's a good trading period through November and December for us with functions and, and breakups and school holidays and it's when our Holy Trinity, the Piano Bar Holy Trinity, the teachers, the nurses and the childcare workers are at their prime. <laughs> so we took all that money that we'd made through that period and pumped it all into the refit of Ballarat, hoping that we would get Ballarat up and running and then be able to start working on Bendigo. Well, it just all fell to, to shit, really. It was yeah. our timing could not have been worse in terms of expansion right before a global pandemic. Mm. So... Very sadly, we had to sit on all of those venues um, pretty much right through until lockdown five or six, really. Wow. When we're expanding into a, a brand new market that may, maybe you've heard of us, maybe you've visited us once or twice in Geelong. Uh, when you're expanding into that market, you don't really have that customer base uh, that you can sort of lean on their loyalty or at least still engage with during lockdowns. So for us live streaming was the key to not only just holding our markets in Geelong and Colac, which we very successfully did, but also to break into the markets that we were trying to break into. So by the time we did actually get to reopen, you know, 14, 16 months into the pandemic, people had been following us online. So that was a good way of engaging. But of course the overheads during this time are ridiculous. Yeah, Recruiting when you've got no idea when you're going to be open and how long you'll be open for is problematic at best, um, mm. but darn near impossible when the hospitality sector was already experiencing the biggest brain drain and, uh, you know, talent shortage. Um, that uh, You can just can't imagine it. It's the perfect storm where people just have that insecure in employment and have to go into things like real estate. And this happened not just with hospitality, but it happened with a lot of my performer friends too. Yeah. People have spent two decades building a career in the music industry are now off doing traffic management or um, just bizarre career changes because there was no work and there was no certainty of work coming back. And 
psychologically, you get tired of it. I think people in hospitality and in the arts already live with a degree of that uh, uncertainty in their lives and just deal with it. COVID tipped many people over the edge. Yeah. And so um, reopening, yeah, had its challenges for sure for us. But yeah, through a combination of just engagement and a lot of live streaming, a lot, a lot, a lot of live streaming, um, we managed to hold on to our audience. Whereas a lot of live music venues, particularly around uh, Metro Melbourne, did did very little, and I believe are now probably living with the fallout of that. Yeah. Um, we've been relatively lucky in that when we've reopened after a lockdown, or we've had uh, you know the COVID scares like January and February with Omicron. Mm-hmm. People have been quite quick to return because they feel a sense of loyalty to us and our brand. Do you think the live streaming has actually helped in the fact of loyalty? Like, has it has it has it got people who maybe might not have heard of you before, or might not have come into the venue before, to actually, you know, experience the venue in a different way? I would say that would contribute to about a ten or fifteen percent bump okay. to our normal sales, and just the it sets the tone for what they're expecting when they come in. Yep. I think for. Uh, a lot of businesses getting that experience across is what drives people to come back or at least recommend that you come to to your venue. And it's very hard to sell that experience just with a Facebook post or an Insta video or whatever. Mm-hmm. During lockdown, people were bored out of their scone. They did not want to watch the news for one more minute. <laughs> and so they would tune across to us and, and just, just get lost in it a little bit. And for us, it kept, um, obviously kept us engaged. There's nothing worse than a bored business owner and musician sitting around the house. I'd have no fingernails left, I don't reckon. <laughs> it was uh, it was a tough time to try and navigate mentally, but I think through that we were able to at least stay positive and project that positivity through the business and um, that reflected in the brand. Yeah, absolutely. Can you, can you explain to me what, you know, those live streams were about? Like how did you decide what you were going to live stream entertainment-wise every, every week? And then how did you go about doing that? Because that wouldn't have been an easy feat to do. So we knew the lockdowns were coming. We had a feeling that it was about to happen. In fact, uh, you know, hearing what was happening overseas, I was actually meant to perform on that Ruby Princess cruise that everybody got oh, sick on. Oh, in Sydney, right. Yeah, wow. I was scheduled to be on that cruise, uh, but Princess Cruises had already bought in a two-week quarantine period between contracts and I'd just come off another ship. So I dodged that bullet, but I knew that's where it was heading. So got online and bought whatever streaming equipment we could, bearing in mind that it was in very, very short supply in yeah. those first few weeks of the lockdown. And we just got straight into it and we kept our schedule unchanged. And this is before we knew about JobKeeper or anything like that. We just relied on people making donations on the live stream, but we kept wow. the same schedule that we would normally keep um, entertainment-wise, but just live streamed it. and. It's a very depressing situation when you've got everything looking very good with the, the way the cameras are facing. But on the other side, we had all the stock from the three venues that we were running at the time stacked up in boxes waiting to return to Paramount or to mm-hmm. CUB. And it was incredibly upsetting at times to be looking at the camera and smiling, but then to see, you know, $100,000 worth of stock stuck up against the back wall yeah. and realizing that there's probably no way we're getting out of this and we, you know, hoping that we could return this and at least get the money back. I mean, you really do start thinking about things from a very desperate point of view when everything had been so bullish for up, uh, for us up until that point and we'd spent 
you know, three and a half, four years in the business, growing it. We hadn't gone to the bank for a single cent. Everything that we had done to that point, uh, we'd done on our own. Wow. And it felt like um, the rug had been pulled out well and truly. And I know this is the experience of so many people in HOSPO. Mm. I just think our timing was particularly <laughs> bad. Yeah. But, um, you know, by keeping the positivity going through the live streams, people didn't realise the internal struggle that we were going through. And that's probably a good thing to at least insulate your customer base from that. People uh, really did pull back and recoil from any negative vibes during the pandemic. It was all about trying to stay as positive as you could. And our venue has always tried to be a safe, positive place for people, no matter who they are. And if we had started going down that road of, oh, poor us, you know, this and that, it would have been toxic to our to our brand and I don't think it would have served anyone well and it certainly wouldn't have made us an attractive destination to return to post lockdowns because be like, oh, it's been, that people were just crawling over themselves to get back and even when we had 20 people in the venue it was a really special experience yeah. because of the positivity that we've thrown out there I know it's 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 a big cliche but um, yeah that that attitude really did get us through and I think from a leadership standpoint that kept our staff engaged with us you know job keeper helped but we lost out of about 80 staff members that we have now on the books uh, we lost two in that whole wow. period which was a, an incredible result because people really that are engaged that work for us you know on the weekly whether it's kitchen team or front of house or security they all stuck with us and i think that's testament to just you know even if you don't feel 100% positive all the time just for the sake of the team just show some leadership and I think that's the best thing uh, that we could have done through this in a very very difficult time mm. can, I, can I ask you as a leader of the business like how did how did you remain positive because having shouldering all that you know a hundred looking at a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock every time you do in a performance you've got 80 mouths that you're feeding through JobKeeper, but also, but also through you know your your own revenue and the donations you're getting online for these streams, like that's a lot to burden with yourself, Andy. Like, how did how did you make sure that you remain positive during that time? If I can ask you, I think it's a combination of ninety percent distraction and ten percent just being really, really brutally realistic with what the options are on the table. Yeah, but um. As all good workaholics know, we are happiest when we are busy. So the people that I went through the pandemic with, the, you know, fellow business owners and peers, the ones that were not staying busy were the ones that were struggling the most. Yep. So, I mean, just getting in there and having something nightly to look forward to. We did just under 500 live streams across the board, whether that was private ones. But with the first 100 days of the lockdown, we did 100. Well, I mean, I was the only one that was there for <laughs> All of them, sometimes just there on my own, which again was, I did drink a lot during those particular <laughs> live streams. I did play a lot of jazz though, so I was very oh, happy that's good. and yeah. very drunk. Yes. Um, but 100 nights in a row. Wow. And that um, was a suitable distraction. That was enough. Yeah. And we did everything from, you know, fireside sing alongs to drag shows to drag bingo to tribute acts we could get in. At that stage, it was still legal to do that. So we really did try and offer a big broad and it kept us very distracted and but the messages of encouragement that you get back from people even if they didn't contribute financially which we really didn't expect people to do but that mm -hmm. enabled us to pay the performers through the live streaming 
But um, whereas the performers didn't get the JobKeeper through us because they're independent contractors. Right. But um, the messages that we would get and the little chats that we would have with each other after the live stream, just checking in and just engaging with each other and just making sure that our mental health was okay, that really did help. And I think um, that distraction was very, very welcome. I mean, fast forward to January and February this year where there was no government assistance and things were not getting locked down again yep. when we just had to soldier on. Mm-hmm. Actually, over the whole COVID journey, January and February of this year were the most difficult months and financially the most challenging for our business, which is, seems counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but this was really the let's live with it now, personal responsibility, no more government help, get on with it. And I don't think a lot of businesses were prepared for that. We certainly weren't prepared for it. Mm. And, um, you know, we've had to pivot. We built a shipping container bar that we've used throughout conta- uh, throughout COVID. So we had the container down at the foreshore at Port Arlington. For those of you who are familiar with it, it's a huge caravan park, one of the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. There's about 5,000 people visiting every year down there at summer. And that was the only, out of none of the bricks and mortar venues were performing. It was just the container and the marquee outdoors. And it, I mean, you can't expect business to pivot to that point. I mean, before COVID, we live in Victoria. We have to be realistic about the weather. An outdoor activation might be good for three months of the year. Yeah. But we've just packed up um, from being in Werribee in the car park at the cultural center. I mean, we are trying everything. It still hasn't stopped. And I know from speaking to people in industry, we are so sick of pivoting and this talk of the new normal. And you know what? Our businesses were perfectly fine before any of this. And the thought of a new normal and the thought of trying to reinvent everything that we've built success and growth on over the years is exhausting. And you know what? Sometimes the business models do not fit into the new normal in inverted commas. Yep. Do you, um, how do you, how do you manage to come up with those new ideas? How do you manage to pivot? Are you sort of, do you talk to other people in the industry and see what they're doing and come up with, you know, sort of come up with your collective ideas of what you guys should do or does it come from your team or? We do brainstorm when we do look a lot online. I mean, there's not much new under the sun, unfortunately. So if you see something that's working quite well, um, then that's what you should probably try and do. Not obviously completely rip off the idea, but it is a matter of, um, learning from other people's mistakes sometimes yep. and then making whatever decisions you do make, uh, you base it on um, what your experience of your audience and your, your your customer base is. For us, we just thought it would be a few umbrellas and a shipping container. But what we found is that we needed to bring a big marquee with us for these things. And then the marquee ended up getting like a big video wall and all these extra things that added to the experience but of course, uh, you know, you need to think about all the things that come with it. So this little container, this little 20 foot container turned into a, you know, 40 meter long marquee with wow. a second container with a kitchen and then a third container to pack up all the chairs and tables. Cause we found that that was about 17 trips in a truck to get all that packed up. So even that idea has evolved. I, th- I think that, um, you know, if you've got people around you that are willing to we make a decision, but then there's going to be a thousand different changes to that decision. And so long as people are really flexible with last minute changes and, and last minute, you know, everything being not the way we said it was going to be, I think that that's okay. You need to be very open to last minute adjustments and changes. And it's um, for some people, that's not the way that they've 
operated their business in the past. They like things to be done a certain way, and especially with bigger businesses, processes and people are everything. And we've had no problem with people, but I think post-COVID we really need to look at all of our processes again because it's a new world. Yeah. I hate to say it, it's a new world. Yeah. How do you how do you do that? Because that must be exhausting again, Andy, to go through all these processes and figure out what you need to tell your customers, what you you know, what maybe you don't need to tell your customers anymore. Um, because I imagine the more communication you give those people allows, you know, less problems in the end if something does go awry, you know? Well, I mean, it's a matter of if you don't do it, what what are the consequences? <laughs> yes. And they're diabolical. I mean, I can't be in six venues in one night and neither can my business partners. So it's, um, we just need to have the processes there, especially because with the growth, we've had to hire a lot of people during a pandemic that didn't have hospitality experience. I, in fact, I can't remember a time when we've had so many inexperienced people working in hospo. All the good people, you know, you know good people yes. have moved on. Mm. And now we've got a, a new cohort of people that need training and they need input and they need direction. And we can't just assume that people are going to do things the way that we would like them to do it unless we've showed them and taught them. Yep. And that is partly a generational thing. I think that's what um, younger people expect um, and they expect to be um, encouraged and reinforced. And that there's not, that's really good management style for that, that um, age group, that demographic of people working in hospo. But if you don't put the time into it, you'll see a huge revolt. You'll see... Um, these people speak up because they don't just sit there and take shit at a job anymore. They can go and get a job anywhere. Yep. Um, so, you know, that's where processes and have everything written down, everything planned out. There's no surprises. Then there's accountability. And again, anyone that's dealing with HR knows how difficult it can be to let go of somebody in this current climate. In fact, yes. there is no good way to let go of somebody. We need to uh, be able to find a way to get people in the business back on track um, and do that in a kind and considerate way. It's we're so far from the point where people are, are desperate for a job, uh, especially desperate for a job in hospitality. So by doing that, you lift everybody's um, opinion of the business and the management when you do it right. And that sort of loyalty is it's incredibly important in this tight jobs market for sure. Because, because it is such a challenge to find staff who do have some sort of experience, whether that be in hospitality or whether that be in entertainment venues, Andy, has it made you think about the customer experience in a different way as well as the employee experience in a different way? Like has it been some trade-offs that, that maybe at the start when you did Piano Bar in Geelong that you've got, oh, we've got to have a certain thing this way, but but now you can't do that because you don't have enough, you know, actual humans who are working for you? Uh, the digital revolution has been amazing. So... If we had have tried to put a digital ordering system on the tables in the past at our venues, it would not have worked. It mm -hmm. would have just been a flop. Uh, we're seeing we have a great partnership with Mr. Yum who have done incredible things, innovating their product to suit our needs mm. right up until including being able to request a song through Mr. Yum and it prints out on a printer on the piano. Yeah. Just small things like that. Pretty amazing. That It's incredible. Mm. And it's so easy to order a second round mm. with... So, so for us, that's been a big time saver. We can probably cut two um, floor staff off you know, wow. in terms of just one behind the bar and one behind, you know, the running stuff. So uh, Mr. that digital revolution has been incredible. And I think that has 
now it's just an expectation that people can do that and they're happy to do that. So that's been a big plus um, for us. And then secondly, um, being able to do all the bookings online now for people. So whilst we have two people on 35 hours a week just responding to messages on social media and sorting out bookings wow. through our <laughs> online system, it's a huge amount. And sometimes we wonder whether that is worth it. But that is a level of service that a lot of other entertainment and um, show type venues don't offer. And I think they pay the price for that too, particularly when like so many events are getting cancelled at the last minute. If you don't get on top of that and make sure that they've either rebooked or been refunded and that that transaction is wound up neatly to everyone's satisfaction, you do enormous damage to repeat business. So that has been a huge focus for us. So probably where we've lost been able to um, lose a couple of staff behind the bar and operationally on a night, we've put that effort back into making sure that the after sales or the before sales service is right on. And also we spend a lot of time and you'd be so surprised if you send out detailed surveys to people that book, they answer. I mean, it is incredible. Mm. We get about a 70% response rate when we send a survey monkey out to our customers wow. and they are very happy to either uh, bouquets or buckets us um, to the eyeballs and I would rather they do it directly to us and honestly to us than rant on social media. And I think that's why we've got really just positive comments and reviews across the board on all of our socials because before it even gets to the point where they feel like they need to publicly whinge about something, we've been able to address it directly with them and tie it over into it just, just to make sure everybody's happy mm. In small towns, again, you've got to rely on that repeat business. That is yeah. so important. So um, I think, yeah, there have been the two big changes we've had to make. Uh, and also I think we've just had to watch people's um, consumption of alcohol. because We don't have problems in our venues. We don't have violence or anything like that. It's a very happy place and a very queer-friendly place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the grannies, the girlies and the gays, that's our crew. And so by... Um, being locked up for so long, people have forgotten what a night out looks like. Mm. So doing half a bottle of vodka before you get in the Uber and then coming <laughs> to the piano bar is probably not the best idea if you weigh 45 kilos dripping wet. Um, so, and God bless them. They're just having fun. And yeah, exactly. People have forgotten what it's like to come out. And that's part of the experience, but it's like everyone's behaving uh, like it's an 18th birthday all over again. So we just had to keep an eye on that. But by and large, um, particularly in Geelong, if our most established um, customer base has been really good at coming back. So we're we're really happy with the way things are tracking. And I feel that, you know, the more that we have festivals come back and that is a huge driver of confidence, the more that we have these, you know, marquee events happening in regional like they have been doing more recently, I think that's what instills confidence. Of course, we've got the the election just behind us and all we heard about was cost of living, cost of living. So that does weigh on people's sentiment. Mm. And that will be the difference as to whether they go out with friends for a few drinks and to hear some live music or just stay at home and not do that. So Mm. I think post COVID uh, the economy is looming in the distance with some big black clouds. And I'll be interested to see how it all pans out because I'm not particularly um, confident that it will be an amazing recovery period for hospitality and tourism and events just in general. Maybe for events, I've done a lot of work in the corporate sector for a long time Mm. and the people that I'm speaking to, booking agents, conference event organizers, people like Peter Jones, the catering in Melbourne, 
some very big, strong orders coming back. Uh, you know, the Flemington with the races, that was a big, big year last year, although we didn't see numbers return to the extent that they, but we were always very heavily involved with Piano Bar at Flemington. Yep. So I'm, I'm seeing that there's a, a, a willingness to spend the money there on behalf of corporations and people planning events. I'm just not seeing um, overseas, the, the overseas events market come back either. So that's all very interesting. We'll just have to see how it goes. I think Australia did itself a lot of disservice by making it so difficult to get in and out of the country for yeah. so long. Yep. And judging by the amount of COVID that's out there in the community now, I don't know whether that was the smart move, mm. but there'll be probably a couple of years of repairing that damage before we really see the events industry come back to where it needs to be. Mm. Do, you, do you think for your venues that it, that it will be that sort of bumpy road as well? Because I've sort of had from from the start of the pandemic, I've always thought that the brands who really stand for something, who are that point of difference, who do offer that different level of experience, whether that be restaurant, cafe, or entertainment venue like yourself, are more likely to be strong coming out of it because people will maybe spend, maybe go out less, but when they go out, they will spend more. So especially with your kind of iconic venues, are you, are you feeling confident that you will sort of weather that storm or you think it just will be a bumpy ride no, regardless? It's patchy still. I yeah. mean, I think our Saturday nights across the board are very strong. Uh, we can have, in, in towns like Ballarat or Bendigo, we can have 150 people one Friday and then 15 people book in the next. Wow. And there's no real reason behind it. Mm. Whereas oftentimes we would like we'd consistently sell out on those nights and that wasn't a problem. You don't really have to drill down into it. But then, oh, this is the this is the rabbit hole. Do you go down this whole thing about drilling down to, you know, micro you know, analyzing every single night and wondering, well, why did, won't we be big on that night? Or I think you just generally have to try and find a way to stick to your guns and then hope that the swings and the roundabouts all balance out. But again, this sticking your finger in the, licking your finger and trying to judge it, um, and just having a guess, having a punt, is it's not a, it doesn't give you any confidence as a business owner. But I honestly think uh, we will go back to the way things were. Uh, people have short memories and this won't be with us forever. Fingers crossed. We just need to weather the storm. And I know it's been going on for way too long. Mm. And most of the community are just going about life as normal. Uh, but I do think there's still a reluctance to go out in big crowds you got to bear in mind, there's an element of whiplash here too. We have been told for so long that the worst possible thing you can do is go out for a drink and a dance and a sing. So it true. was demonized to the point where people were being arrested or, you know, um, house parties were being broken up and people yeah. were being fined. And I mean, and it, that, that was what needed to be done at the time, sure. But there is still this lingering sense that it is not the right thing to do. Mm. And that is also going to take some time for us to snap out of. Mm. Two questions before we finish up today, Andy. I'm I'm really interested with an entertainer who's who's been in the market for you know as experienced as yourself. Like when when you started entertaining and performing, and as as to now, like does it make you feel different in any way? Like how do you feel when you actually perform for people, and does it feel different from when you started? I'm. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't like to say I'm, I'm a bit more cynical about it, but I certainly feel um, I know which levers to pull at what time to get the reaction I need from the audience at that particular time. It's a bit strange. And because A Night at Piano Bar on paper is 
very same, same, same. It just isn't that way. I mean, it is outrageously different every night. And that just comes down to the music that people request, you know, the type of audience you've got in there, what's floating their boat. There's always one or two big characters in the room that you can bounce off, you know, someone that's, you know, like 80 and off their tree or, you know, some annoying hen that you can just hang shit on all night. I mean, I get away with murder, blue murder with some of the stuff that I can say to people. Um, yeah, always in love, of, of course. course. And always after I've played their favourite song for them. So what do you expect? But um, so in that sense, but the one thing I do feel um, is a little bit nostalgic sometimes. Back in the mid to late 90s when I started playing in nightclubs, it was the Wild West. It was so much fun. There were so, so few rules. Um, there were venues that I would regularly play at that had lost for 600, but if we had 1,300 in there, it was about it was right. right. <laughs> Felt about right. Um, it, it really was a different time, and it was a lot easier just to get about business, just to get on with it. We didn't have people bitching about noise. We didn't have... Uh, you know, all, there's a lot of regulations just to even from a building and compliance point of view, just to get off the ground, the number of insurances and even things like the one music license to be able to play live and recorded music in your venues has tripled since we opened. Wow. It is ridiculous. It is full on. And no wonder venues are reluctant to put on live music. You've got pressures from everywhere. And I think the other thing that I have seen since I started is that we need to stop as performers stop thinking about what we do as some sort of paycheck and that we should just go and do the gig and get paid our 400 or 500 bucks for doing the gig. Mm. It needs to be a partnership with the venues. If you don't provide value to your venue operator, there's no point putting you on. If there's no return on that $500 that he's putting into live music mm. or she's putting into live music, then what's the point? And um, sometimes, uh, you know, no entertainment is better than bad entertainment. So <laughs> also you've got to be good at what you do and yeah. be sharp at what you do and actually, you know, do the job that you're meant to do and that's pull the crowd and hold the crowd. So I think there's a lot of people that are all about the craft and about the art of what they're doing, of the performance, and um, they will be forever playing in front of their iPhone on TikTok <laughs> if they don't um, get, get out, out and find a way. And you know what? If you're a local and you're um, complaining that there's no gigs in your local area, I mean, I you know when I was a kid, I used to drive to Melbourne for everything. But if you can go to a venue and strike up a relationship, get in there. We are um, in, at Piano Bar. We have a great system of getting local acts who put an act together just for our show. And we don't charge anything for the facilities. We charge a small booking fee, obviously, to cover our time with the the amount of work that goes into bookings and the merchant fees and stuff, but it's a very small fee. And they bring their audience to us and we provide a spot that they wouldn't be able to do that normally. And also we tap into our huge, uh, you know, we've built a big list over seven years and there are people that if they see an Elton John tribute show or a Fleetwood Mac tribute show or an Elvis thing or whatever, they go nuts for it and they will come in. So it's finding those partnerships and building those partnerships. And it doesn't have to be a regional thing. This can be in your suburb or just a, a smaller cafe and you're looking for a gig. Get in there, start the conversation and, and the partnerships and those collaborations and that collaborative approach, I think is what has worked for Piano Bar because I come from the music business and we're trying to do that as a venue that is run by musicians. So mm -hmm. 
I think that is a great way to get live music back in. And I tell you, venues shouldn't be afraid of it. It doesn't disrupt or, you know, hurt anything that you're doing. It can only really enhance it in some cases. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a huge advocate for it. And there is there, there is money to be made in it. People think that live entertainment is, you know, just a drag on your bottom line. Mm. If it's done right, it can be awesome. Yeah. Is there is there like one key piece of advice to those venues that do have live music, but maybe it's not there, it's not as embedded as what it is in an entertainment venue like yourself, like that you would get, uh, that you would give in order to get, get oh, sorry, start again, in order that you would give them advice to get better live entertainment inside their venue? Is there any kind of advice you've got? Well, their, their, their audience, their customer base knows what they like. For example, at Piano Bar Northcote, there'd be acts that we would put on in Northcote that would pull a local crowd and that would be great, but we wouldn't put our Northcote act on in Colac because they wouldn't pull skin off a custard. So uh, you really need to drill down about what uh, your audience like listening to and, and also just ask them where do they go to hear live music. Just don't swim against the tide and um, be really open to, you know, if you had have asked me that drag would be on in our venues two nights a week mm. at the very start seven years ago, I would have laughed so hard uh, just given the fact that dra drag, you know, traditionally was a, not a very mainstream thing and we weren't angling to be anything, uh, you know, queer related with our venues, which we've, you know, we won... Um, the big uh, award for services to small business for the queer community last year, awesome. which was um, a surprise. But that, again, I didn't see it coming, but we've embraced it and our audience have embraced it and here we are. So, and we probably employ more drag queens as a business than the rest of the venues in Melbourne at the moment, wow. to be honest. Yeah. Because it's, uh, and we pay better as well. And obviously don't be afraid to pay. Like, Just if you can see a way to make it work, just don't skimp on it because it's the old adage, pay, pay, pay not to get monkeys. And you'll be surprised the amount of extra effort that the performers put in when they know that they're getting paid a bit better than they do for the other ones. Mm -hmm. And I know this because I've gone to see it. some of our performers perform at other venues and they're not nearly as good. <laughs> Whether they're doing that because I'm in the room, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, conspiracy theories abound. But I, I do think people always feel better in their job when they're being looked after or yeah. at least they feel like they're being looked after. Sometimes it's just the small things like a tizzed up dressing room and a meal, you know, don't skimp on that sort of stuff. It's really important. Yeah. Um, Andy, my final question to you is like, you know, what's next? Like you've weathered the storm, you've got amazing venues now. Like you've obviously, obviously pushed into uh, country Victoria, but now you've got Northcote. Like what's next for you guys? We are not going to open any more piano bars for at least a year. We are getting offers from everywhere, though. This is the problem with it. Um, it's, we're getting offers from landlords. Councils are headhunting us to try and get them to the air, and it's quite serious. It's, um, you know, there's it's, it's a lot of live music venues haven't thrived, and I think that when you come in with a model that works, it's a bit of a no-brainer but anyway we're not doing any new bricks and mortar things just for a little while while we bed things down and really work on like i said earlier processes incredibly mm -hmm. important we've got the people even though some of them are really green but it's up to us now to really bed down on that but we are working on um the oh, I'm probably allowed to say this a pilot for a reality television show um, wow so that um 
imagine below decks meets uh, Australia's Got Talent because we are in desperate, well, we're not desperate, but we need to find a couple more solid piano men or women. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that would be a good forum to put the, cast the net very wide and get them in. But also anyone that works in hospo knows that it is an incredibly hilarious environment to work in. And some of the silliness that happens behind the scenes, nothing untoward, nothing terrible. But um, for us, it, it, this would be a brand building exercise and really getting people excited about coming back into the venue to feel like they might be missing out on all the great stuff that happens every week at any one of the piano bars. So yeah, that's, I might've let the cat out of the bag there, but that's, <laughs> we're definitely um, very, very deep into uh, that coming out soon. Awesome. <laughs> Mate, that's, yeah. ex that is exciting news. I even, I didn't know that before the podcast. So that's a, a bit of an exclusive, eh? Um, yeah. Andy, there's got to be a lot of people who may have, you know, found you for the first time after this podcast, or maybe listening to Sate and want to, come to one of the venues like what's the best way that people can find out about piano bar and book in just on our website pianobar.com.au and we are all over socials as well too but yeah hit the website find out a little bit more about us and you can book online and you know we're just a we're very very quick flight if you're coming from you know brisbane or sydney get in, get into avalon and come and explore the geelong ballerine region if you're going to bendigo the elvis exhibition there is unbelievable Ballarat during winter just comes alive. There's so much going on down there. Mm. And Colac, um, I love you, Colac. There's just <laughs> nothing happening down there. What's well, got Buller? Apps. Oh, it does have Buller. You can go to the ice cream <laughs> shop, I suppose. I don't know. I love you all down there, Colac, but gee whiz. Anyway. We'll do something. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> something will come in. I'll just something leave it out there. God bless <laughs> um, Andy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, as always, that's linked up in the show notes of this podcast, so you can link into Piano Bar and go visit soon. Andy Popjoy, thanks so much. Thank you, Sean. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I definitely hope you enjoyed that one, especially as we're talking about live music and entertainment. Bit of a new venture for us to talk about it. So if you like it, please let us know because we'll definitely get in touch with more people in the industry like Andy. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. As always, we're making this content with the industry in mind. So we'd really appreciate you sharing along to those that you know. And if you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, or graphic design, then you can find them at principaldesign.com.au. And myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes in your hospitality business to make them run even more smoothly. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Thanks so much to Mr. Yum for supporting this season, season 11. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. I reckon waiting for the bill in a restaurant at the end of the meal is such a pain. I know, but have you seen Mr. Yum Split and Pay? I used it the other day at a restaurant. I just scanned the bill and straight away was able to easily split it with friends, pay and leave. It was super fast and super easy. It really sounds amazing. That's right. Mr. Yum Split and Pay makes it so simple for diners to pay their bill, to split it between a group, and even pay for individual items. Restaurants love it as they get to know their customers better than ever, making it simple to send targeted offers and get their guests coming back again and again. It really is a game changer for venues that love full service 
but want to streamline payments. Mr. Yum's Split in Pay is the better way to pay, and it's free until July 2023. Visit mryum.com.